Luke chapter 2. Beginning at verse uh, 21 and read down through verse 39. Luke 2, 21. When eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. It is revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy, this, thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce thine own, through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. She was a widow of about eighty-four or four score and eight year, four years old years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of Him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Tiled the message this morning. Walking with the Spirit of God. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for our, the opportunity and privilege that is ours to be meet together here today. Thank you for uh, um, the privilege we have to open your precious word. And Lord, I pray as we look into the word of God, as we consider this subject this morning, I pray that you open our understanding and our minds to receive your word, uh, which can save our souls. And Lord, I pray that can encourage us and strengthen us and help us to grow in our grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this is a, a subject, I suppose, where there's much confusion and misunderstanding, even among independent Baptists. Though the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, you know, he's, he's given both titles, is the third person of the Godhead, we call the Trinity, and he's very active and influential in the lives of God people. In fact, the Bible tells us he indwells us if we're saved. Yet he is not spoken of as much as the Father or the Son. And there's a reason for that. He is not to be. 
He is not to be spoken of as much. For example, in John 16, John 16, 13 and 14, John 16, 13 and 14, and this is where most people get into trouble with the Spirit of God, you know, Charismatics and Pentecostals overemphasize the Spirit of God. John 16, 13, 14 says this, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, that's another name for the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. In other words, he's not going to glorify or exalt himself. He's going to glorify Christ. He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So we are not to glorify the Spirit. But the Son. Nevertheless, there are those in the Bible that are spoken of as being filled with the Spirit. And you might say, or walked with the Spirit. And we have an example here. Uh, For example, in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, it says, In fact, John the Baptist, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Uh, In Luke 4, verse 1, speaking about the Lord Jesus, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned, from Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. They were, they were getting ready to choose deacons. And he says you need to choose men that are full of the Holy Ghost. You know, though, so the, and, the, and there's an implication here that there were men then that were full of the Holy Ghost the implication is there still are men who are full of the Holy Ghost. Uh, John, in Acts 7.55, But he, speaking out Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. In Acts 11.24, For he was a good man, speaking about uh, Barnabas, and full of the Holy Ghost. Now, we have no record that Barnabas ever spoke in tongues. Or Stephen ever spoke in tongues. But they were men that were full of the Holy Ghost. And he was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. So these men, you know, though, though the, the Spirit of God is not glorified and promoted, uh, the Son is to glorif- be glorified and promoted, uh, uh, so to speak, yet these men were full of the Holy Ghost, or we might say they walked in the Spirit. So, when we consider what it means to walk with the Spirit of God. First of all, the prerequisites to walking in the Spirit. In verses 21 through 25, he gives us several things. We'll look at these. Number one, uh, speaks of Simeon here in verse 25, that he was just. He was just. That word just means righteous or observing of the divine laws. Uh, it has the idea of being approved or accepted by God. Just. We might say declared righteous by God. If we're, if we're justified, we're declared righteous, we're accepted or we're approved by God. 
But it carries with it the idea of not only being approved by God, but also endeavoring to observe the divine laws. In other words, living in obedience to the Lord. This is not only spoken of of Simeon, but Mary and Joseph. For example, in verse 21 it says, And where eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which is so named by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law, notice, according to the law of Moses, this was the word of God that they had, according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him unto the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And, and so here you see Mary and Joseph were doing that which was commanded in the law of Moses. They were, they were striving to be obedient to the word of God that God had given them. Uh, we, we find what they're doing here is spoken of in Leviticus chapter 12. Leviticus chapter 12. If you want to turn over there to Leviticus chapter 12. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation for her infirmity, she shall be unclean. And in the eighth day, and that's what they were doing, the eighth day, they circumcised him. In the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And she, she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall not touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. But if she bear a maid child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her separation and shall continue in the blood of her purifying three score and six days. When the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering or a young pigeon or a turtle dove, for a sin offering under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, uh, under the priests, who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her. She shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is a law for her that hath born a male or a female. And if she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering and the other for the sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So here in Luke chapter 2, that's what Mary and Joseph were doing. And, and, the, and the, the, the Bible tells us here in the law, they were, you know, if they could, they were to bring a lamb and offer it. A lamb and, and, a, and a pigeon or a turtle dove. Which, you know, and, and if they, but if they could not afford a lamb, if they were not of means to have a lamb, then they could bring two young pigeons or two turtle doves. And, and, and Joseph and Mary brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. It shows again their their meager uh, their their poverty that they lived in. Uh, so, but all this is done to obey the command of God, and and to uh, uh, and and then they were to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. And we find that in Exodus chapter thirteen, where the firstborn is to be is to be the Lord's, and they're to redeem him, and that's what they were doing. They were redeeming him. Uh, uh, so, so this is this is what they're doing. Uh, Exodus uh, thirteen says this, verse eleven through thirteen. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee in the land of the Canaanites, as he sware unto thee and to thy fathers, and shall give it thee, thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every first thing that cometh of a beast which thou hast, the male shall be the Lord's. 
And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among the children of Israel thou shalt, shalt thou redeem. And so here they were. They were, they were observing the divine laws that God had given through Moses. Just. Righteous. But secondly, not only were they just and righteous, but uh, he's also described, this man Simeon is described as devout. If you notice in verse 25, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout. The word devout means, has the idea of carefully and surely, or cautiously, reverencing God. It's only used several times in the Bible. Uh, For example, in Acts chapter 8, verse 2, it says, Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Devout men. Uh, Men that reverenced God. In Acts 22, 12, speaking about Ananias, it says, In one Ananias, a devout man according to the law. In other words, he had great respect and reverence, and he was careful to keep the law of God. Having a good report of all the Jews who dwelt there, uh, 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 he was the one that, that uh, uh, or, or Paul was sharing his testimony how he had baptized him and, um, and, and the scales were removed from his eyes. And, and you know, though he was, he was careful and though he was fearful and cautious of, of Saul, uh, you know, Acts 9 tells us, yet he obeyed the Lord. You know, he was afraid of him. You know, remember the Lord said in Acts chapter 9, you know, there's, there's, I want you to go over to the house. Uh, I can't remember the house. They said, there's one prey, Saul of Tarsus. And I want you to baptize him. And he said, Lord, we've heard about this man. And how he has letters from the high priest to, to arrest. And, and so he was fearful, and yet he obeyed. You see, the word devout has the idea of carefulness, reverence for the Lord and obeying all the commands of God. All the commands. You know, there's a lot of careless... There's, there's a careless attitude amongst a lot of Christians that bothers me today. Not, you know, many times, you know, we're not careful about all of God's Word. We, we think we can pick and choose. You know, we want to separate the majors from the minors and say the minors aren't important. Jesus said that he that you know doesn't keep the least commandments is not worthy. See, he was careful. In fact, in verse 39 it says this of Mary and Joseph, and when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city Dazzers. So they they obeyed everything they understood that they needed to do. And so so prerequisite, prerequisites to walking in the spirit, just and devout. Secondly, if we're going to walk with the spirit, we it, walking with the spirit is to have the word of God revealed to you. Notice verse twenty six. It says, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought 
in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph's mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary's mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, and she was of great age, and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. She was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So, you know, walking in the Spirit is to have the Word of God revealed to you. Think about this this man, this man Simeon, and this prophetess, this, this lady, uh, Anna. It was revealed to him the time of his birth. Now, Did the Lord just impress that upon him? Maybe. But it's very possible. And again, I'm, I'm speculating here. And you know, if, I, if you think I'm adding to to the text, you can cut me off. But but he 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 had he obviously knew the Old Testament scriptures because he quotes them, as, as we're going to see. And he probably had access, by the way. He isn't the only one that knew about the time of his birth. The wise men did. How'd they know? Because Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 tells them. Daniel 9, 25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, unto the Messiah the prince shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. Now, I'm not going to try and figure out for you what all that means there, but it does mean it tells us when the time Messiah would come. And it's accurate. If you want to, if you want to figure it all out, get on the internet and Google it and you'll find out. Um, but, but uh, so he was revealed to him the time of the Messiah's birth. But not only was the time of his birth revealed, his purpose was. The purpose of his birth was revealed to Simeon unlike almost anyone else. His twofold purpose. Notice, number one, first of all, his purpose was to redeem all mankind, all mankind not just the Jews, but all mankind from the bondage of sin and death. Notice verse 30 and 32, what Simeon says here. It says, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles. That was a terrible crime for a Jew to say in his day. But he understood it. And the glory of thy people Israel. See, he understood that Christ came, first of all, to die, to redeem all mankind from the bondage of sin and death. 
He understood that. He understood it very clearly. In fact, he goes on and tells that, that what kind of it's going to break this 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 young babe is going to break Mary's heart, and it has to do with the, his rejection and the crucifixion. He understood all that. Who else understood it? Very few. Even the disciples didn't understand it for a long time. He understood that he was going to be rejected by many. Verse 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, these things are not ignored in the Old Testament as Jews today may try to make you think. They aren't as evident as some of the things are. But Isaiah 8.14 says this, And he shall be for a sanctuary. That word sanctuary means a holy place. He shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock offense to both houses of Israel. For a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And Peter quotes in Acts 4.11 says, This is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. See, Simeon already understood that. That he was going to be rejected by his own people. Peter goes on in 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8 says, um, No, I don't have it. Um, 1 Peter 2. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 2, verse 6. Wherefore also is contained in Scripture. Again, he's, he's quoting the Old Testament here. Behold, on lay Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. And to you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. You see, Simeon understood he was to die to redeem not only Israel, but the Gentiles also. Gentiles also. Now, go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. The book of Isaiah has the most to say about the Gentiles receiving salvation in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 9 Verse uh, 1 and 2, Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 42. Verse uh, 6 and 7. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. I, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. 
to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and to them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. And then again in Isaiah 49 and verse 6. Isaiah 49 verse 6, it says, And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my, be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. You see, this was something that most were blind to. Almost all of Israel was blind to this, but not Simeon. See, it was the word of the Lord was revealed to him. He understood it. He understood Jesus' purpose in coming the first time. But he also understood that one day he would restore Israel to its glory. If you notice again in verse 32 of, uh, of uh, Luke chapter 2, it says, A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. You know, and that's what Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 is all about. You know, Isaiah 9 says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. It's talking about the millennium. The glory of Israel. When, 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 uh, 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 when the kingdom is restored to his father David. See, he understood all that. He understood that. And he understood, he understood, like many did not, the significance of the comma in Isaiah 61. Go to Isaiah 61. <clears throat> Isaiah 61. You know, even the punctuation in the Bible is important. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And then, and then while you're turning there, get Luke chapter 4. Because Jesus quotes part of this passage in Luke chapter 4. And there's a reason why he only quotes part of it. Luke chapter 4. All right, Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. There's a comma there. That comma is very significant. Then it says, And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all the mourn, all that mourn. Now, the day of vengeance refers to, I believe, the tribulation period. God's going to pour out his wrath upon the earth. And, and then it, and then, and then it goes, verse 3 goes into the kingdom. It talks about the kingdom. But to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord refers to the first coming of Christ. Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And Jesus made this significance when he read from Isaiah 61 when he was in the, when he was in the synagogue at Nazareth. Verse uh, Luke 4, 6 says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of, to the, uh, of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stops. Now he stopped. 
at a comma in Isaiah 61. He didn't finish the verse. And then he says this. It says, and he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, verse 1 and part of verse 2 were fulfilled that day. He was there to fulfill it, but the rest of it would not be fulfilled until some period of time later, which is still yet future. You see, they didn't, and those at Nazareth, when he said that, wanted to kill him. Simeon understood it. Simeon understood it. You know, they didn't understand that it wasn't time to restore the kingdom to their father David. But Simeon understood. He understood that one day he would, but first he would have to die for the sin of all mankind. You see, to walk with the Lord is to have the word of the Lord revealed to you. Look, look at John. Let's look at a couple of verses here. John 14. John 14 and verse 26. John 14, 26. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And again, John 16, 13, which we've already read. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. See, the Spirit of God can guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is what 1 Corinthians 2 and this passage is all about. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even though the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You know, Simeon knew all these things, and all these things were free to anyone who really sought them. But they didn't know them. Because they weren't walking in the Spirit. As Simeon was. Verse 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. See, everyone else is just all they're concerned about is, let's get rid of Rome. Let's get rid of Rome. They weren't concerned about their sin. They were just concerned about the here and now. The present. And let's get rid of this bondage to Rome. So we can live life like we want. They weren't concerned about their sin. 
their real need. But see, Simeon understood all this because the word of the Lord was revealed to him because he was walking in the Spirit. So, walking in the prerequisites to walking in the Spirit, we see walking in the Spirit is to have the word of God revealed to you. And then thirdly, walking in the Spirit is to be led by the Spirit of God. In verse 27 of Luke chapter 2, Verse 27, let me get back there. It says, And he came by the Spirit into the temple. He came by the Spirit. It's interesting, verse 38 says about Anna, And she coming in in that instant. It kind of reminds me of Ruth, remember in Ruth, the Bible says that her hat was to light in the field of Boaz. In other words, it just so happened she ended up in Boaz's field. No, it was under divine providence she ended up in Boaz's field. No, he was led by the Spirit, and she coming in or was led to come at that, that, that in that instant means at that time. God laid it upon their hearts to come at that time. They were led by the Spirit to come at that time. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> now this isn't, this isn't some spooky thing, as, as we're going to see. You know, oh, I've got the Spirit of God leading us. Oh, it's kind of spooky. No, it's not. It, it's, 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 it's logical. It's simple. It really is. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. And we'll see in a minute why that is so. For to be carnally minded is death, be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have this, not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now the word led means to move to impel, to, uh, uh, to impel of forces and influences of the mind. Luke chapter 4 verse 1 says, Jesus was led of the Spirit. In other words, he was in, there, was, there was forces and influences of his mind that led him or directed him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, 
If you contrast that to 2 Timothy 3.6 where it talks about silly women laden with sins being led in the divers' lusts, and the word lead there means they're simply urged on by blind impulses. Urged on by blind impulses. But if we're to be led of the Spirit of God, it says it, we're to be, be moved or impelled by forces and influences of the mind. So how does that work? Well, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is how it works. Ephesians 4 verse 17. If you want to be led by the Spirit, here's how it works. And again, it's a logical, it's simple and logical. Uh, Ephesians 4 17. This I say therefore and testify the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity or simply with the impulses of their mind. That's how the world walks. They just simply do what, what they feel like doing, whatever the impulse is at the time. That's what they do. And that's what you and I will do if we don't have something bringing our mind into captivity to the law of Christ. We'll just live on our impulse. We'll just live on our emotions. What we feel like doing at the time. No, he said we're not to walk that way. He says, having the understanding darkened, their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work on cleanness and greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be, ye have heard of him, have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and here it is, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then he goes on and says, okay, you're going to be renewed in the spirit of mind. And then you put on the new man. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then you start putting away lying and you put on truth. You put away uh, uh, anger. Uh, you put away stealing. And you put on working. And you put off filthy conversation. And you put on that which is seasoned with salt and with grace. You see, see, when you start renewing your mind with the Word of God, it'll change the way you... It'll influence the, your life and change the way you live. It, it will impel you to do differently. You see, the Spirit of God works through His Word. If he don't have the word of God, he cannot work. Again, John sixteen thirteen says he will guide you into all truth. He'll guide you into all truth. You see, your spiritual growth is contingent upon how much of the word of God you consume in your life. The word of God will influence your mind. And that will impel you make changes in your life. Yeah, this is true of anything in life. Hey, if I want to learn to eat healthier, you know what i got to start doing? Changing the way I think about certain foods. Now, I never liked tomatoes. I bet I never ate a tomato or a slice of tomato until I was 35 years old. But I learned. Well, I might not have been that old, but anyway... I learned that, that by reading that tomatoes are good for you, good for your heart. And I still don't like tomatoes. 
You know, some of you can sit down and make a tomato sandwich and eat it. Ugh. Not me. But you know what I do? I hide it in hamburgers. Or in subs. And I put a lot in there. You know, put a slice on top of the hamburger, a slice underneath the hamburger. And I'm learning that, you know, they're not so bad. I still haven't got a place where I can eat one just by itself. But you know where that started? It started right here. With the mind. And my mind is influenced what I do. And the same is true spiritually. You know, we, we, we quote Joshua 1.8. But this book of the law shall not depart of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Thou, thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know, Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Verse 10 says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that it might not sit against thee. Verse 15 says, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto all thy ways. But the meditation comes first. Then the respect follows. Somebody said this, and I quote, Other books were given for information, but the Bible was given for transformation. Unquote. And Romans 12, you know, the familiar passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Mind. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. That word approved means tried or acceptable. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. Are you ashamed of your relationship with the Lord? Are you ashamed to tell it? Ashamed to be a workman? You know what the solution is? Study more. Study more. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, to walk in the Spirit is to be led by the Spirit. If we want to be led, we have to fill our minds with the word of God. You know, Paul said this in writing to the church of Philippi, in, in Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 4, he tells us how to, pay, how to put that kind of mind in you. And he gives a list, and I always have trouble with that verse. But the, you know, he gives a list of things that we need to think on. And then he says, The God of peace shall be with you. You know, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 talks about the spirit-filled life. Ephesians 5.17, he says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the spirit. And then the rest of the book really describes 
the Spirit-filled life, or what it means to be led of the Spirit, to be walking in the Spirit. It's submitting to God, submitting to one another. Husbands loving their wives, wives loving their, uh, reverencing their husbands, children obeying their parents, servants obeying their masters, and on and on it goes. And all in submission to Christ, in a walking in obedience to Him. You see, walking in the Spirit is not some mystical thing that we cannot attain. It's really quite simple. It, but it does require that we apply ourselves to it. We must apply ourselves to it. You know, are you walking in the Spirit? Do you have the Spirit? Romans 8 9 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Do you sense his presence, his leading, his conviction when you sin? Are you able to understand his truth? Again, you're not going to understand all the Bible. I don't understand all There's a lot of, lot of this Bible I don't understand. That's not what bothers me. What bothers me is what I understand. But I understand more of it than I did 10 years ago. And as I, and I've learned that as I obey what God shows me, God shows me more truth. So the question is this morning, are you walking in the Spirit? And again, it's not some mystical you know, thing in our life. Walking, it's simple, it's logical, it's a matter of we just yielding to him, filling our minds with the word of God that he might work, that the word of God might work and change and transform us into obedience, servants of our Lord and Savior. Are you walking in the spirit? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word today. Thank you for how it speaks to our hearts. Thank you for these truths and these examples of men and women who walked in the spirit. Lord, I pray you help us in this year of 2017 to be people who walk in the Spirit, live lives that please and honor you, and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We just thank you and praise you for the simplicity of your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's just